Welcome to Misdirected Mark Off the Cuff. We're, today we're going to be talking about what are your favorite house rules for any game you've played and why? And I put this question to our Slack room, which you can get to by being a part of our Patreon. And, and there was a lot of discussion about boy, it. Boy, did they answer. They yes. tend to answer when I drop <laughs> it. It was a hearty topic. And good, good, good suggestions. So here's, a, here's my first one. I'll just throw this out there. This is from uh, JT Evans. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he said one of his favorite is granting up to a max of three inspiration in his D&D 5e game instead of one, which allows for more heroic actions by players. You uh, have a similar I, one. I do the same thing. Yeah. Yes. Another one that was in here from somewhere, which we'll get to later, is that you can spend your inspiration after the roll, which is pretty much what everybody uses, even though it's not the actual rule. Because yes. the actual rule for inspiration is that you have to spend it before you roll to give yourself advantage. That's very sim- that's very similar to there's a common house mm-hmm. rule in PBTA um, that you can assist after roll. Yes, like, yes. You don't have I to. like that rule. I always like that rule. Way like, better than before. I mean, it doesn't make any sense before because it's such a small trying to Trying to do those things proactively is problematic. You're going into a thing like, well, gee, this is important. Maybe I should try doing it with advantage. But to me, it's way more effective to do those things after. It also feels better, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I never understood why there's a bunch of D&D rules that say you can spend a resource after you make the roll, but before you know the result. Mm-hmm. I hate that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Let me know the like, result. Just tell me the result and then I'll make a choice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, especially since inspiration is supposed to be kind of a uh, like a narrative mitigating tool, right? Like. This yes. is a really important hit. Like, I, need, I really need to make this hit. If I make it, great. The story goes in the way where, where I'm hoping it goes. And if it doesn't, this is where I want to spend my advantage. And forcing somebody to have to spend it up front, 50% of the time, it's a waste. There's a couple other ones in here that I like to, sure. to throw this Grab in. some. The Cyberpunk 2021, where he allows the player oh, to take such the a good other idea. roles class-only skills, but only up to a max of one-third of what their current roles class-only skills were at. Nicely in Cyberpunk Red, yeah, they've actually fixed this. Role. Oh, so you could just yeah. do it. Yeah, you actually yeah. can now multi-class with almost yeah. this house rule. Yeah, this is the give all the classes some amount of flexibility rule, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Same thing with the. There's another one in here from JT about allowing the cleric thief combos for demi humans or multi-class humans because that was not a thing in Second Edition. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. oh, I think I, I, pretty much all like Third Edition did the best thing ever when they were just like do whatever you all want. classes, all species, yep. like yep. all just levels. Do it. I, I'll be honest. I think that. Almost every game group I worked with did that in first edition too. <laughs> yes. Like, like we, we, we did the cleric thief combo and we allowed humans to do it too. Like after the first campaign, we stopped putting level caps on because yes. in first edition AD and D it's like, you could be like an elven fighter, but only the level five and imagine to level 11. And then that was it. You were done advancing. Yep. Yeah. And we're like, nope, just Blah. take it all to the top. It's boring. Yeah, um, I don't, <laughs> I don't understand the design behind it. That's why, because I, I don't think they did either. I, I think the idea was because you got, species abilities the leveling tool versus humans was you got species abilities but you could only advance so far you could be in certain classes and again this was so token right like so if you're if you were either in the fighter or wizard it was a little more lenient but if you were like outside of that like no the other way around it was rogue rogue i never remember every 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 race could have unlimited level thief except for one (laughs) i believe and then most other classes were capped out at lower levels and some couldn't like, I don't think dwarves could take wizards at all. I know that elf was like fighter seven magic user 11. Cause I played a lot of elves. Sure. The other thing was that multi-classing allowed for some combinations you couldn't have. Like in first edition D and D wizards simply couldn't wear any armor. 
But if you were a fighter wizard, you could wear armor. Yep. Could you cast spells though? I yes. think there was a penalty, wasn't there? Not I'm in the first sure. edition. That would. Not, you're thinking of the spell penalty that you got in. I think it was in was, second edition. For right sure. about second edition. I didn't play a lot of second edition. I played a lot of second edition. Yeah. I bailed on D and D when second edition. Came oh, that, no. Okay. So, yeah. But I think that's like I think the idea was, and I don't think it's a great trade because I like level capping versus what you got for species abilities. They weren't great. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, it was, well, it was there were a couple of things like elves got proficiency in 10 weapons including like all bows most of the swords that so you could be an elven wizard with a sword and a bow which is yes. something that wizards couldn't have normally yeah i don't think that it was a great trade-off also species got a lot more language if you were human you got whatever languages your intelligence gave you if you were an elf you spoke elven halfling fairy goblin hobgoblin orc dragon and like three other languages all for free okay yeah, it was an extensive. Um, and there was no other way to get languages in that game except oh, for high okay. Now I still think that's a fair trade-off, but then again, most players didn't make it past the level. I mean, in those days, you were lucky to make it to level eleven in D and D. But no, I think it was it's a good thing. He has one more in here though, um, and he said that in Fate and Savage Worlds, he allows the players to grant their meta currency to other players at the table. I've seen this rule before. With I have sure. Seen, I don't have a big it, problem with that. Yeah, it's actually codified into some of the settings for savage world i think this is like know. a new deadlands rule like you could do this in like newer deadlands i think in deadland in deadlands there were always three there were but the the one different color the only thing ever required was there had to be a way for you yes. to uh pump that person up like mm-hmm. you had to be able to yell at them like you know hey you can do it or you know like you had to do something yeah you can't to, just hand them a, a token yeah and like here you go you had to do something in character to be like i'm like i'm i'm you know i'm your hype man here's yep. here's a benny <laughs> like oh i i did a bunch of benny things when i was running my table source campaign that i did one of the things i did every week was i would have a topic for the week and i'm like all right we're gonna talk everybody tell me something about the culture or rights of the religion your character follows everybody would tell something we write it all down that we were building the culture of the world and if anybody came up with something even if it was minor they got a special benny and that benny could be applied anywhere in game including supposed to give you a plus one which in savage world a plus one is pretty is pretty big it was basically what we said we called it a background benny that players because players were were building on stuff and sometimes they yell at extra ones if somebody came up mm-hmm. with something and the whole table suddenly got animated and we were talking about it for the next half hour everybody got another one but it encouraged people to Especially the quieter players participate. I played in a Savage Worlds game mm-hmm. where the um, GM who was running it had a house rule to give out like 6,000 bennies before the game started. It was like Oprah's favorite things. You get a benny. And and you, you get right. a benny. Like it wasn't uncommon to start that game with like seven or eight bennies like off the, it was intentional, but like it was, it's you'd, you'd be like sitting there with like, you'd be sitting there with your Vegas stack of bennies at the start of the game and just yeah. be like, uh, I'm going to go do this thing. Oh, didn't work. I'm all Spend in. A Benny. I'm Spend all a Benny. in. Spend yeah. a Benny. Oh, I passed. And, and that's laudable to a point. You mm-hmm. know, you want to give them an influx of bennies so that they've got that currency to play with. But the biggest problem with all of these currencies is that you have to refresh them when the people run out, mm-hmm. which is why I hate the one point of inspiration in D&D. Yep. You get that one point, you use it, you're done. And now with the, the playtesting that they're doing for one D&D, they're testing rules mm-hmm. for other ways to gain new ones so that you can can refresh those quicker just a reminder if you hit up the backlog of misdirected mark we do a whole topic on currencies yes mm-hmm. we do that talks about the cycle of currencies the economy of currencies and the importance it was quite the fine episode i must say I, yeah. it is it is actually one of our finer ones but it talks about the necessity of yeah. of how to put currency back into an economy. Now, I will say one thing. I, as we talk about 
being able to pre-buy currencies. I did have one GM running a range game back when I was in Syracuse that had a little stand-up card in front of him of things you could bribe the GM with to get extra things. Oh, my God, stop you, that. Peter. You could, don't do this. Do not do that. I mean, he had things like bring him lunch, get three re-rolls. This, this oh. is for comedy. This is for yeah. comedy here. This yeah. is not for, yeah. uh, yeah. we're talking do about do that. Do not do that. Do not do that. Yes. Okay, I want to say that I'm, I want to say I'm a better GM, but I think if you brought me coffee before the game, you probably get in a Benny. Like, <laughs> and the, if you're not getting a Benny, I can almost guarantee the first NPC isn't going to attack you. Like, just... <laughs> That's actually better than not giving them the bet and then giving them the right. Yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, that guy hesitates. Wink at the person. Raise your coffee. Yeah, there you go. All right. So what other. Uh... Let's move on. Yes. <laughs> so Jim Crocker is the one who talked about the uh, the inspiration, the role inspiration mm-hmm. after seeing the result of your first role. Yep. My inspiration rule is that it's not inspiration exactly anymore. It's basically if you have disadvantage, like roll mm-hmm. your disadvantage and then see if you succeeded or failed. If that didn't work spend your inspiration to roll another d20 that has nothing to do with disadvantage it just it's mm-hmm. the, whatever that role is is what it is yeah so you know there you go that's I like uh, that i like that one i also use grit dice uh-huh. it's uh, yeah. like the hero dice like you you get one and then if you roll it uh you can roll it to add a d6 to your uh your d20 roll i love those two rolls together the three inspiration points roll after mm-hmm. and the grit dice it really makes your characters feel pretty pretty potent like you can you can really not have it some... doesn't unbalance anything though no what, what's nice about it is so inspiration is a big fix, right? I rolled a two with my bonuses. Statistically, there's no way I can close the gap on, on, on this AC, mm-hmm. right? So I can spend some inspiration, take a complete fresh roll at it, see if I can't get better. But the grit die is great for, oh, I know I'm close, right? I got uh-huh. a 14. I know it's like a 16. I'm going to go spend this grit die, which isn't a big heavy handed tool to just see if I can't nudge it this like you know just nudge it over the edge kind yeah. of thing it's just one more thing that makes those characters feel heroic mm-hmm. like they're a st- they're a cut above the other characters in the game yeah so i really like that because if your tone of your game is about being heroic yeah then having some tools in the game that actually allow you to do heroic things i was just gonna say that 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 is perfect if you're if you're shooting for heroic that's a really nice way mm-hmm. to buff that up a little bit if your table prefers something a little more gritty, mm-hmm. then obviously you're probably not going to go that way. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. I, I would offer if your table wants to play gritty but still wants a little nudge factor, go get Dungeon Crawl Classics and take their luck mechanic and go plunk it in your game mm-hmm. because that is a non-replenishable point-by-point point thing where if it's really important and you want to spend a point or two, cool. But if not, you have it for emergencies, but there's only so much luck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting meeting. And as you spend it, it's also tougher to roll against. Yeah, I like the <clears throat> rules that I've seen out there. If you want a grittier game, but not deadly, mm-hmm. but but something that feels a little bit more visceral, I guess. When you get dropped to zero hit points in 5e, you take an injury. Ooh, I mean, yeah. that injury can heal. I've seen them around. Mm-hmm. but Is there like an injury table? Yeah. Like, oh, that's like um, uh, Forbidden Lands. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that game makes the game gritty without being deadly, I think. There's a consequence to getting reduced to zero hit points. And it may, might not be easy to heal with just a simple healing spell. Like maybe you need a lesser restoration or something, a higher restoration, depending on the injury that you take. What were you going to say, Dre? I was going to say, well, if you don't want to talk about gritty, we can go to the next the next thing, which was the warden talking about um, his house rules for headshots in D&D. Oh, yeah. There's those too, yeah. And he says that in his, <laughs> um, and it's plus five that targets armor class. But if you hit them and you do more than 25% of their damage, you kill them. I wonder what the difference between gritty and deadly is. Because there's there's got to be a difference between those two things, right? Mm. Yeah. I'm glad that works for him. I would not play that game. 
This to me is the Unreal Tournament equivalent of both enabling headshots and dual pistols. Yeah. <laughs> I will say this. It's a decent enough rule, but I can almost guarantee there's one character at the table mm-hmm. playing a ranger who's got this thing totally tweaked out in feats and stuff like that, right? Oh, like yeah. they easily have compensated for that plus five. The archer ranger with, mm-hmm. with all, of, uh, yeah. all of his stuff buffed out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The other characters are like, nah, like I can't really use it. But the, like that ranger is like, oh, I got this. Mm-hmm. Like I built like by sixth level, <laughs> I got not only do I have that plus five compensated in some bonuses, and a magic item or something, but I'm doing enough extra damage with whatever I've picked up to guarantee I can hit like that 25 threshold. Yeah, makes sense. I'm not saying it's not a good idea for some games. I'm just yeah. saying it's not my that that would not be my cup of tea. But if you're looking for a good headshot, it's not a bad rule for how to simulate headshots. I would also say the question, my question would be, is as a house rule, you don't have to make that rule symmetrical. You don't, but. They put it in there with the idea that it could also be used against them. Oh, well, like that, I mean, was, that was the rule that was. I mean, that's though. the well, if you guys really want it, like yeah. it might turn on you. Kind good, of thing. good for the goose, good but, for the game. But I'm also I'm very OK with asymmetrical house rules sure. where it's like, yeah. hey, we're playing a heroic game. You guys could headshot some stuff because that's cool. But the end, like some goblin isn't going to whack you like this is where in fifth edition that'd be a problem. Because in fifth edition, the way that the monsters level up, they compensate for the fact that a player might have three attacks at two D at two D six because that give the monster one attack at sixty six. It depends on the monster. It does. It does. But yeah. I'm saying, but there's a lot of them that are like that, where the monsters are doing more damage per hit. They hit less often, but they're doing more damage per hit than the players are cranking out per hit. Sure, it depends on the monster. Right? I, oh no, I said it. It yeah. depends on the monster. If, if it's an ogre, like it has that built into it. Mm-hmm. But if it's a if it's like a, a kobold or a fast displacer beast, it'll get multi attack. Yeah. And they're not built the same, right? It's an asymmetrical no. design anyway. No, but I'm saying that this is a th- like you and I've talked about this before, another game where like a spearman in D D, if I have a spear, I get three attacks at one D six. He's just gonna do two D eight with one hit. Depends. And maybe I'm saying there are but there are those kind of things that occur. That's where this twenty five percent thing could be a problem. Because if I'm doing more attacks and less damage, it's he has a to better get to that number. <clears throat> but he has a better chance of doing twenty five percent of my health with one hit. If you want my my fifth edition opinion on this i think that's a terrible rule for fifth edition D. sure and, yeah. and but he I did mean, it for 3.5 yeah. Yeah. yeah warden yeah. did say it was for 3 3.5 yeah. where yeah. also a plus five to armor class isn't as much of a like in, in fifth edition D, a plus five armor class is ridiculous oh man it actually makes a lot more sense for third edition yeah because the third edition monsters and stuff were built the same way as characters yes which was yeah, a terrible true. design choice but that was the design choice that peter atkinson wanted oh, yeah it was, it was yeah. a lot of it was a lot yeah. of work but a plus five to, to like a plus five to your armor class when your armor class is 15 is a lot different than a plus five to your armor class when your armor class is 56. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, third edition <clears throat> had scaling armor class that went way, way high. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it didn't yeah. matter. So it does make a difference. Kander would love a plus five to his armor class right now. We yeah. should one day talk Kander about... Kander wants a plus one to his armor class right now. <laughs> we should one day talk about asymmetrical rules. We should. Like, that's yeah. a good mechanical topic, asymmetrical mm-hmm. rules. Oh, yeah. The, the other thing that was interesting about this from Jim Crocker, is there such a thing as a house rule in Power by the Apocalypse? Custom move. Is that really a house rule? It just so sort of allowed assumes to make, that you're writing them. It's the closest thing there is to a custom rule. Uh, oh, it, it is the closest thing to a custom rule. I have seen a couple times in games where GMs, and I'm like, it's not in the rules, where GMs have granted, based on situations, like a plus one forward. Like not because, of it, not because it trailed off of another move, but I've seen games, I've played in games where people have been like... Yeah, I've done it. Sure. I yeah. think I've done it too in Hydra Hackers. Yeah. That technically probably is a house rule. Okay, probably. I would I would call it a house. It was rule. never codified, but mm-hmm. like based on the narrative, I was like, okay, this thing you're doing has a really good chance of working. Take a plus one forward. But 
that's not a GM move. No, it's not. I can't I can't remember if it's written in any of those books. That's why most of the Power by the Apocalypse rule books that I've read are really bad. Oh, in terms of well in terms of like laying out their rules. I think it depends and I think it also depends on which generation. I said the ones that I read. Sure. Yeah. I like, think some of the later generations got much better at writing those yeah, things. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But those early ones when everybody was kind of like a free for all, what was the one? The hood is bad. Like that one's like a like that one's it's messy. And you're just like, oh, this doesn't all work, but I'm going to make this action movie world is the same way. Action movie world doesn't completely work, but it works enough that it's fun and you're only playing it for one shots. Mm -hmm. So it's like, eh, okay. All right. And she has another one for a buff for D&D. Ange Murray had gnome Uh, in one D&D group that he's in. The GM does a minor yours when it comes to killing and hit points. Meaning that you roll while the GM rolls behind their screen. If you don't like your role, you can choose to take their role without knowing <laughs> what it is. Most of the time this works out in your favor, but sometimes it doesn't. But it's always been a nice thing to have when you roll a, roll a really annoying low roll. Like you're, you're rolling, we're going to cast my healing spell, and I roll like 3d4 plus 1, and I roll 5. And the GM rolls as well and says you can take my roll. Now they might have rolled a, a 3 or a 4, but you have a chance of getting a better roll out of that. That's an interesting roll and gives kind of an odd luck thing back and forth. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I would I would have no trouble playing in a game like that. I think I think I don't know if that's necessary, but I think it, if the GM wanted to do that, I would have no trouble playing in that game. I'm way meaner than that, I suppose. I'm like, you can take the average you can roll if you roll, then that's what you get. <laughs> I'm you? like, I'm way nicer. I'm like, max hit points, max hit points. Yeah. Just take them and well, go. That, now, see, that's a rule that I had for a long time when I was running when I was running my fifth edition game and when I was running um, Pathfinder, was I just told players, you get your max hit dice every every time you level up. Number one is it gives the players with bigger hit dice a much bigger advantage. Like being a barbarian with D12 versus oh, yeah. the wizard at D6 really makes a bigger difference. That's another, let's push this thing into heroic yep. territory because these people are now all John McClane. And especially at low levels, like level two, three, four, it encourages the players to do more stupid things because they've got more hit points. Be creative in your in your solutions to problems because yes. you know you've got the hit points to take the, the oops. And it also <laughs> allows, and especially when you've got players that don't have system mastery and are still learning the rules, or just aren't good at remembering rules, it gives them a little bit more armor to survive the game. Because to be honest, you know, if you're if you're looking at average plus one versus you know max hit dice for a barbarian at fifth level, you're looking at the difference between twenty eight plus twelve. So that's going to be you look at forty plus. So you look at the difference between like fifty hit points and sixty nine or seventy five hit points, which isn't a huge difference, but it makes a difference of like one hit for that barbarian. I just found it was a lot of fun. It also kept for the games I was running, which were which were more higher higher fantasy, higher magic. It pushed the heroes towards doing, maybe they'll try jumping over that cliff because they have a chance of surviving if they fall kind of thing. So that was one of my little house rules for D&D. Sounds like a good one. Okay, this this then devolved into the experience point house oh, rule yes, debate. Here we go. I, I am. I love the experience point house rule debate. I do. Mm-hmm. I am team Milestone all the way. I love Milestone XP. I am not depending on the game. I love experience points in Dungeon World. Let me pack that up. Yes. For most D20 games. In nearly sure. every D20 game I've ever run, Milestone XP. I'm, I'm a fan of the experience point rule in DCC. You get an experience point every time you clear a room, regardless of what you did. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a great rule for Dungeon Crawl mm-hmm. Yeah, and that yeah. counts running away. Yes. That counts yes, running yes, away. Because yes. it's just surviving the Surviving room. the encounter. Yeah. I think you have point. to move to the next. Like, even if you enter the room and then leave that room, you got the experience point for that room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you won't lived, get any. You live to get yeah. out of the room. You won't get any for yeah. the next rooms farther down until you get yeah. past that room but you got the experience points for surviving the room when yeah. i w- when i was writing legends of the ancient world the second or third edition that they were they're doing that was our rule for the program adventures was that you got an experience point for every encounter you had whether it was a combat encounter or an exploration encounter or whatever and those points were used to build your characters up mm-hmm. 
I don't know what they're doing now with it, but that was what we were doing when I when we were playtesting some of the original rules. Milestones are good for games that have levels, like D&D is a good one. A game like Cyberpunk or something where there aren't actual, where it's just you, you keep building your characters based on points as they go, mm-hmm. that's a little different. And of course, in a game like Face Rip Marvel, like all your experience points are based on either who you fought or the things you did when you weren't fighting. Because your karma experience points, rewards go up and down based on did you keep a appointment kind of thing. I, I thought it was pretty bad of Face Rip to say that if Wolverine killed somebody, he lost all his karma, which meant that he oh, lost all of experience it's points. It's awful. Because that character would kill everybody. And that was 80s Wolverine. I know, like, right? He I wasn't, know. like, it wasn't like... Back then. It, it wasn't like, like... Turn of this, like turn of the twenty first century Wolverine, where like maybe he's gonna kill someone. Yeah. This is like straight up, like just murder oh, everybody in the Hellfire Club. It gets it gets worse because one of the things you have in the game are group pools where everybody can put their experience points into a group yeah. pool, which allows anybody to draw off that karma pool. Mm-hmm. And if anybody kills somebody, yep. it it drops your group. Yeah, that that rule was yeah, the karma rules for face rip. Real quick for those who don't have played it. In Marvel Face Rip, which was the first Marvel superheroes game, you gained karma points, which were both your experience points and the points that you used to modify dice rolls, which was not a great combination. But you got experience points for the highest stat of a monster, of a bad guy you fought. So if you fought like Scorpion, who has like incredible strength, which is 40, you got 40 experience points or karma points. But you also got karma points for things like going to your job every day. You got karma points for going on a date with Mary Jane. You also lost karma points for doing things like skipping out of that date with Mary Jane to go fight the scorpion and so on. So, so and, if I'm Wolverine, do I, I mean, this is going to sound, yeah. this might sound bad. Do I get, do I get experience points for trying to like hit on Jean Grey and take her away from Cyclops? You got points like way better than your uncomfortable relationship with Jubilee. I know, sure. right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you got, you got points for if, if you actually set up a date with, with, with Jean Grey and she went on it with you. Okay. You get your current points. But since um, Scott's going to co- cock block you, yeah. like that's going to. Uh, well, I don't know. Gee, well, we'll, we'll, later, we'll, later they fix that. That, 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 that <laughs> in, a, in, 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 the, in the best way possible. Yeah, later oh. they fix that with a nice little polycule. Like, yeah. The other problem with the current points is that if you kill somebody, you lose all your karma. Mm-hmm. And in the game, shooting attacks or edge weapon attacks, if you roll a critical hit, it's an automatic kill. So. You could roll well and kill somebody by mistake. There are ways that we house ruled a lot of that out of there later on. That's where the phrase, yeah, karma for red, karma for red, karma because for red, you yeah. would just, yeah, you'd walk in as Wolverine, you'd be like, take my hundred points, throw the dice on the table, I just kill that guy. Yeah, because you're gonna lose him anyway. I'm gonna lose him anyway. So, yeah. and I think that was one of the earliest games that just about every GM I played with house ruled that after the first time they played it. There were a lot of yeah. ways to deal. It wasn't a bad concept. I, I we've talked before about the problem of something where you get both your experience points and your dice roll modifiers out of the same pool. Yeah. That's when you, a bad when you have mixed currency, that's the XP point in cipher system, yep. which is a mixed currency. And then you wind like, I have my own personal rules for how to manage that thing mm-hmm. because I want the advancement mm-hmm. in most cases more than I want to pass a, a check. Mm-hmm. So once I have four XP in cipher system, I park those off to the side. And if yeah. I get any more, I'll use them to fix die rolls, but I'm getting to the end of this adventure with four XP. Like I just put them under my character sheet, well, right? That, like that's a savage rolls Benny thing where you put two bennies aside to keep yourself alive. Yeah, that's your that's your that's your stay alive bennies. Yep. And, and you don't touch those till the till the last fight. Yep. I'm not a yep. fan of mixed currency. No, no, no. no I don't think I think that's I think that's our point. Mixed currencies are there because 
they're supposed to do the thing that Chris loves, which is make hard decisions, but those aren't fun, hard decisions. Yeah. They're not dramatic. Hard no, decisions. they're not. They're mechanical hard. They're, they're, I don't know. They're super painful. They, they you know what? You know what? This, this might be a good off the cuff for the, for a future con- or, conversation. Or just a conversation that we should have in the future. Like yeah. We're talking about yeah. it. Mixed currencies. I will, I will say that a mixed currency like that decision does not create dramatic decisions. I yeah. agree. Because they're often just mechanical decisions. Like, uh-huh. Depending on where I move in, in, a, in a combat situation and who to attack, that can actually create a dramatic situation in the combat. If I hit or miss or what I'm, who I'm helping, things like that, it helps tell the story. To me, those experience point versus do I want to re-roll this die that has no... I mean, it has mechanical impact on advancing my character versus dramatic impact on the story. And I don't know that that's a good way to, to do that. In fact, psychologically, most people will take the conservative choice mm-hmm. right so most people yeah. will be like oh, i'm just gonna fail this role because mm-hmm. i'm trying to hold on to these points yeah. i mean this is very much a very this is very much an opinion thing i don't know that design wise whether it's good or bad I, i'm not sure how i feel about it although all i know is that most people i talk to can't stand it yeah, yeah. there's a play psychology thing and i'm no i'm no expert on this but there's a play psychology thing that's when you have mechanical choices you act differently than when you have dramatic choices Correct. Yeah. And, and you also have the problem because that becomes, becomes with a mechanical dramatic currency, you end up with a problem that I've had in games that I'm playing where GMs, I'm like, oh, that sounds like something cool. Well, you can do it for a Benny. I'm like, no, nah, never mind. It's not worth it. And the right. GM's like, what? I'm like, yeah, it's not worth I it. I got three Bennies. Yeah, I've got three Bennies. It's not worth it. It's not right. worth, you know, you have not made this valuable enough to spend one of my life Bennies. How yeah. about if I try it and it goes terribly wrong? I mean, how about I, I go and try it and you set stakes where either I succeed at the th- cool thing that I want to do or if I fail, I go, it goes terribly wrong and you just give me a Benny. That's a way more enticing thing. Yes, mm-hmm. it is. Yes, very like, is. You can now roll the dice and see if you get the thing that you want or if it goes tragically wrong. Either way, I'll give you this Benny. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's like the compel, right? Like, yeah. oh, you're going to, yeah. you want to go do this thing? That sounds super risky. I will, I will buy this moment no. to see yeah. if you succeed. Now, that is me rewarding you mechanically with a mechanical piece mm-hmm. for doing something that would create interesting drama yeah. yes yep. now i think that's good sure mm-hmm. that's a great way, way more to use, interesting that's a great way to use it and currency. that's and that's also what I'm, I'm seeing as a more modern rpg design we're seeing more and more games that have that sort of thing in them with currencies like that now we're seeing that in things like cortex it's interesting because your points in cortex almost always i mean there is a way to use it to bring in a story element which you guys haven't had a big need for but almost it's always to manipulate the dice to hit a target number Mm-hmm. Correct, mm-hmm. which will help us create the story. That sure, which is great, right? Because it, it allows you to do the thing where, um, like, oh, I rolled really well. I didn't have to, use, like, oh, I rolled really well. Oh, I could buy an extra die for a second effect up yeah. and attack this pool twice in one turn. That's a huge turn of events in the, in the course of a story. Yes, it is. I like Very that, much. actually. And then I really love, again, not that we're talking about Cortex. And again, hint, hint, we will be talking about Cortex we in a lot will. more depth. But I love that you guys, as players, control when you want to get more points yes to me that's great to be like oh i'm running a little low here i'm gonna i'm gonna swap out my it, distinction die for a d4 and it, pick up a and interestingly it's not just a compel like in fate you still have a chance to succeed at the thing you were doing and you get a point for it if you are wisely playing the game you can build your die pool to buffer that four pretty well i love that design because it doesn't feel bad to do it it feels like a risk like mm-hmm. i'm making a choice to weaken myself, to get a point for later that could potentially affect me negatively, but doesn't have to. Yeah. And if mechanically you're playing smart, you're like, okay, I'm going to leverage, like there's this trade on the table. I know I can grab that die. That's mm-hmm. going to, you know, I got a good chance of offsetting that to get to my total. Yeah. Cortex is a solid game. I like it. Yeah, I people talk. 
while we're talking XP, JT had another one that he talked about with playing the Osric games, which is similar to first edition D&D, mm-hmm. that the older game systems often had an experience point bonus for having a higher stat. Yeah. And also had a, which actually 3.0 had as well. Um, I remember that from the uh, uh, Neverwinter Nights video game. And also that you had to train with a master. So oh. before you could level up, you had to go find somebody of higher level. I don't hate this rule. I don't I do. hate it if you are going to play in a campaign world where you make that accessible to players. Yes. That's the things you got to make it accessible. I feel like you have to if you're playing that game. Otherwise, you're sure. not doing the game service. Sure. I want, in that yeah. case, I want the players to be yeah. able to go back to a city. You, you have failed as a game master if you don't do that. So what, what do you do, though, when you're, when you're a 10th you're level wizard and now there's no 11th level wizards to train you? Then the game Lich. master should be giving you some way to go find that person. You need okay, to go that's find that's my you need point. You to go find the Lich. Yes. What I'm, saying is that the, what I'm saying is that in the original edition of the game, that was not something. That's why we used to, that's why we used to ignore that rule in the old game because they're when you were using a lot of published Those rules adventures, were terrible. They were, which we're talking, we're talking about games that we things we sure. house ruled out. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why we house ruled that out. JT actually says yeah. that they dropped that requirement that you have to train with a master. It's because everybody mm-hmm. did. And I'm said in, instead of that, you only get the XP when you return to town. So sure. you go back for supplies and to, you know, now to for, rest now, up. And, now, first edition D&D, if you were playing a druid or a monk, it got even worse. Because, yeah. Because... I love that rule. Oh, I hate this. The, rule. the monk, the monk rule is the the monk rule is the worst one. Like yep. once you get high enough in level, you yep. there's the like only there. one master of the North yeah. Wind. In order to become the master of the North Wind, kill him. You got to beat him. Yeah, yeah. So, so those rules were cool to me because it created an actual setting and story inside of the game. Oh, sure. That's why I like them because sure. your mechanics actually informed your setting. It did, but there, were, there was also a frustration, though, as a player when you worked really hard, got your character to the level you needed to be at, everybody else was leveling up, but before you get to level up, you have to go fight this guy, and, yeah. if, and if you fail, you don't get to level up. And I, so now, and we had this happen with one of the players where he tried three times, so everybody else was level 13, and he was stuck at level 9 because he could not beat the guy that was against him. I feel like that's not a game problem, that's a game master problem. Probably. Probably. I, I feel after the first fight, if you're the game master, you're like, I'm going to shift you hit points off this guy. Like, oh, no, no, no. You remember, Phil, this was the early 80s? Yeah. Remember I mean, those days? I can't, suffer. Yeah. Suffer. I can't, I can't solve for bad game master. No, you can't. Those classes and things like that, and the titles that went along with them and like building keeps and things like mm-hmm. that, it provided a path for the game to go. Yes. And I loved that those rules uh, I were enjoyed there. those. There I, was a lot of flavor to yeah, them. Yeah, they weren't executed very well as like, here, game masters, do these things. That's the, and that's where we're going at, is that they, <coughs> they introduced a concept and gave the game masters no guidance on how to uh, handle it. I mean, that's, that's, that was the hallmark of that's early D&D. Game design. Yeah, early but, but, D&D but, is but, like, here's a whole bunch of ideas, and good that, fucking luck. And that's, but, why but, so many, that's why so many GMs just well, drop rules. Let me tell yes. you, those game masters did those games dirty because they shouldn't have house ruled that way. They just should have figured out how to house rule to make these stories happen. To, to be me, fair, that's what I feel. To be fair, as a middle school 80s game master sure, yeah. in a world that had no internet, no place to talk to another DM that's, or something. These are fair. Yeah. Like, these are fair. It stuff. was, yeah. it, that shit was hard. Yes. Like yeah. nowadays, like uh, for instance, like Send a Son is playing 5e mm-hmm. and a bunch of other games. He's playing Fate and a few other things. Yeah. That guy, when he runs into an issue, like just goes to his mom yep. and is like, it's not Hey, this thing's happening. And send us like, cool. Let me tell you some ideas about like how to like, yeah. you it, know, how to deal with that. In the latest gnome cat and in the latest, um, Thacko with advantage. And talks about the fact that last week's game, they encountered a monster that none of the players had, had ever encountered before. And so during a break, she was texting another GM asking him for 
not advice on the monster, but a whole bunch of rules clarifications yeah, mid game. Like, can you do this? And does it provoke the attack opportunity? Which and, she was wrong because she yeah. thought she was right. It was hilarious. Yeah. I edited it so I yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. So you know, <laughs> you know like, yeah, I thought that it was, it was funny. I assume that's your voice at the beginning with all the descriptions. That is, that's okay. me, yeah. Yeah, when I was playing D&D at age 9 and 10 and 11. Nobody knew we, this stuff. We, no. you know, nobody knew this stuff. And, and also we didn't have, not only we have the internet, we also didn't have the local stable of gamers. Yeah. Up, up until I went to the hobby oh, yeah. shop, it was me and three other people. It's like almost a I'm being like GM paradise oh, now like, because you're like, yes, oh, <laughs> I wish there was some GM advice. Oh, look, Gnome Stew has article upon article of like, yeah. oh, look, there's a bundle of holding with a whole bunch of GM advice books from mm-hmm. Engine Publishing. Yeah. Shameless till, plug. Till, yeah. till, till the 30th. <laughs> yeah. I know this will be out by the way. Is that, out, is that out there? Then. Yeah, it's out there. Right I, was, Sorry, I was unaware of that. Y'all missed it. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> yeah. But the point being, like, there's so much available help for GMs now of any skill level. It's mm-hmm. so cool. Like you can go to yeah. YouTube and watch Mercer tell you something. Yes. You can watch, like you can watch any number of people. So I just, many. like, I remember being a kid. And again, was I probably a little too young to be playing role-playing games like on my own? Yes, sure. but there was no alternative, right? So like, I never read all of the DMG. Like I was like 10, I looked at it, I'm like, holy <laughs> shit. It's a big book. It was also a bad book. Yeah, well, it wasn't. It was. It wasn't good. I read. I cherry picked it. Right. Like I went through and was like, "Oh, this is cool. Oh, oh, I need this thing." Right. But like the first time you read aerial combat in the DMG, you're like turning it this. I, I could never figure out um, one of Jerry's favorite games as a kid: villains and vigilantes. Like I was like the first time I saw like the calculus equation for <laughs> strength. Yeah, I was like. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know the buttons on the calculator to do this. And the, like, fu- and the funny part, and I always laugh about this because the funny part is it's a simple calculation and it makes sense within the mechanics of the game. It's like third grade math. I third was, grade I was, math sucked. It did. But <laughs> it wasn't flip, third grade math. And, and the funny, it's, it's strength times strength times strength plus endurance. How difficult is that? Anyway. Um, Where was the parentheses? Around the strength. So, okay. So it's easy yeah, enough. It's, it's simple enough. It's, yeah. But they are S cubed order of operations, right? It is. It's, 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 it's one tenth of your strength cubed plus one tenth of your endurance times half your weight. That's it. So basically, so a person with a strength of 10 could lift their body. It's more math than I want to do for role playing. Yeah. But it's a superhero game. So they had to figure out how much, how much strength somebody with a 57 strength could lift. Y'all wonder why roll a D 20 atom modifier was so good. Yeah. That's why it looked, that's why it looked like they cracked the fucking atom when you get to third edition, right? The funny thing about the DM guide is just the opposite of Phil is, because I used to wake up before he was in my house, I would get up every morning and read the Dungeon Master's Guide. It's a, not a great book. It's, it's not, but it was what, but it was what I had to read. At the sure, time, right? that's yeah, the thing. Yeah. I would I would read role playing game books until my parents woke up in the morning. I know. I know. We got time. see. That was my problem. Was like just like now. As soon as I started playing D anD D, I also started playing like Top Secret, Boot Hill, and stuff. And those were actually somewhat more accessible in terms of they were not written in High Gygaxian, mm-hmm. so it was like way easier to just go read. Boot Hill. This is the last thing we'll yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. We, have to, we have to move on. Yeah, we're, we're at the, the end of the question. The, so. the high guy Gaxian thing, it's got two problems. One, it's written in, in a way that is Gary Gygax's writing, which is not great. It's a little yeah. it's, no. Well, I mean, not great just in general. Sure. Like, the prose is pretty bad for the most part. The other thing is that when he would write stuff like that, it did not always match up with the stuff that he's writing in Dragon Magazine. Sure. Like, the articles for there. Because he was in a lot of battles with other people about role-playing yep. games and why people should play this, that, or the other thing. Because... He had a brand he was trying to support while he was still trying to just talk in general about role-playing games. And the thing is, Dragon Magazine was the internet. 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like, it's where the Forgotten Realms came from. Right. While I did not read the um, DMG, I read every Dragon magazine. Yes. When I got my monthly subscription Dragon yes. magazine, even when I wasn't playing D&D, I read every article in Dragon magazine. Great book. Fuck, Great I actually magazine. Miss Dragon magazine. And Which, Dwarf, by the way, the Dwarf. Um, Dragon magazine is in its entirety freely available, I believe, in the Internet Archive. Yeah, archive.org, oh, right? Yeah. Also, it's defunct now. They just shut it down. There is no more Dragon Magazine or Dungeon. That's too bad. Those, those, those were those You're were both talking about magazine. the app-based. Yes, so in, there is in, no more even like yeah. internet stuff. But the PDF ones, the yeah, original they, they magazines, exist. those yeah. I believe on archive.org. Yeah. Yes. All right. That's all the time we have for this. We are, we are actually a little over time. Well, we Thank hope you enjoyed our conversation. Yeah. If you have any comments on this, you should join our Slack channel because it's the only really place you could talk to us that will respond. Yeah. <laughs> And I'll have another one of these questions next week, probably for, for folks. I mean, we won't talk about it for a month because, you know, we're on break. So enjoy this while we're on break. Bye. Yes. Bye. Bye-bye.